the incomparable. Number 125, January 2013. Welcome back, everybody, to the Incomparable Podcast. When you last heard us, we were midway through our discussion of the Lord of the Rings movies. I showed a remarkable restraint in, in only making two episodes instead of three or four or five or six, like Peter Jackson would do. Uh, but we should jump back into it so that uh, so that I'm not tempted, like being tempted by the power of the ring, the power of splitting podcasts into more episodes uh, is strong. So uh, to, here to save me from the t- that temptation are the members of my fellowship. Andy Anatko is here. Hi, Andy. Your father wanted you to have this when you're old enough. I'm sorry, wrong trilogy. Hmm. I'm very confused now. Dan Morin, help me out. Oh, I'm just glad I got to sleep for a couple hours before this. Uh, we started talking about the second part of this. Yeah. It would be exhausting to do it all at remember, one Remember go. the world before we started talking about this? <laughs> no, no, Andy. I don't. No. seem to shine. People seem... I don't remember the Shire, That Andy. was when the elves, the elves were still in the world then. I told you that this journey was going to damage you and destroy you. You did not, would not, could not believe me. And I'm now here we are. One of my fingers now. Oh... Oh, and that hobbit, that hobbit, I do not trust that hobbit. Strixie hobbitses? Is that, is that Bugs Bunny or Gollum? <laughs> Waskily wabbits? No, it's Elmer Fudd. It's John Syracuse. Hi, John. Do not meddle in the affairs of Andy because he is subtle and quick to anger. Wow, you've got a million of them. That's great. That's, that, that, that's not going to be my new Twitter like description. That's There you go. And Glenn <laughs> Fleischman not. is also here. He knows Elvish and we don't. I, I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention. I was forging more rings of power. Want any? Guys? Rings no, of power? No. Plenty to go around. If I had a ring of power, I would become terrible and Precious. beautiful. If I had a, a hammer, I'd hammer out some rings of power. You put those up on Etsy, you get this yeah. big long story about how you were trained to make these in the runes, but you're just bulk ordering this from a supplier in China. One was I'm ma- sick of pretending. <laughs> Four were made for the elves, nine were made for men, and 15 were made for Etsy. <laughs> 15 million and qvc got a, a shipment of 150 i like i like the alternate version of lord of the rings where or gandalf throws the ring into the fire at the very beginning and it just melts and he's like all right done job <laughs> Ooh, done awesome. unfortunately that didn't happen and so now we need to talk more about the lord of the rings now let's go shoot a nine hour six comedy with sultry teens uh well one of the things that i would say was a strong thematic change in the movies over the books that I appreciate it. And I've actually gone back at times. Uh, in fact, I did this when watching it recently and checked the book to remind me of the scene because the scene in the movie is so strong is that uh, in the book, Saruman is an important character. But he is often in the background, off to the side. He's sort of another malicious force until they actually confront him. And Organdoff will recall meeting with him or, oh, you know, he was reticent at the White Council and the Hobbit era and whatever. In the movies, what they decided, they brought him much farther, much closer to the fore and made him the big villain as a proxy for Sauron as you move through the movies. And I think it worked very well. So when they're uh, climbing the mountain, the pass uh, of um, Karadras across the, you know, the mines of Moria are below and they're trying to go across and the mountain is opposing them. In the books, it's the mountain. The mountain is sort of part of that sense of evil uh, it's, and right. so forth. In the movie, they have this great thing of of Christopher Lee standing on top of, of uh, you know, of the... Um, Orthanc. Oh, I can't Orthanc. remember the name of it. Orthanc. Orthanc, which is a... And Orthanc is beautifully conceived of it. It's exactly how I thought of it from the books. And he's standing there, and he's standing there in his stentorian voice, you know, speaking his words of power and creating the storm that is traveling across all of Middle-earth to prevent them from crossing the pass. 
that is great movie making. It is a great thing because you can't just have in in the fellowship specifically everything is against them the rocks the trees the land the earth the mines the orcs and in this to have one malicious force and then uh i think there's other elements as well where saruman is directly engaged in opposing them uh the the scene in ro and rohan in two towers where uh the uh Theoden is under worm tongues you know control essentially you see this old man it's a wonderful that's i think the most evocative scene in the movie, it's beautiful, and it's also a terrific scene in the book. And I went and read the scene in the book and realized it's completely different in many ways. As Gandalf goes in there, he has his staff in the movie, and the staff is an important thing. And he's battling Saruman in the movie. Saruman has essentially put a spell over Theoden, and he says, I will draw you from him like poison from a wound, and does this thing. And then, uh, you know, sort of knocks Saruman, you cut back to Orthanx, see Saruman knocked on his ass. And come back there and you watch the king become younger and stand up and resume his sort of what he's been, you know, moves the ensorcelment. And uh, in the book, it's a more gradual process. Saruman is not mentioned. His words may have poisoned him, but the king gradually comes back to himself over the course of a number of pages. And I think of all the things they did, I think that's one of the best enhancements because it's not that Saruman becomes the focus of the films, but it's more like it makes sense. There are things in the book where you feel like, there's just too much evil and too much sort of uh, um, inchoate action going on and to have him actually directing it and then for him to be defeated, you have this point, well, now we are now stepping forward and we're going into the might of Sauron and Mordor now. now. Uh, wonderfully done. Well, that stuff kind of works in the book when the whole world is against you, like this nameless evil. Whereas in a movie, you do you, when you do a movie adaptation, you have to say, okay, we need an actual antagonist. We can't because in a book, you have plenty of time to describe the evilness of the roots of those trees and all like this, <laughs> exactly. you know everything being against you. You can you can actually convey that the trees hate men for whatever reason. They hate men. Because you've got, you know, for narration, basically, in the book, you have the writer writing stuff and you can describe. In the movie, you either have to have a literal narrator, which is usually death, or you have to say, well, let's just have an actual antagonist and we'll make it Saruman. So, yeah, uh, that's that's what you got to do when you make something a movie. Those are they made a lot of good choices in the adaptation, uh, but all those choices necessarily make it different from the book because the book, it's not like one of those books. Sometimes I read a book and I'm like, this could be a movie. Just take it right off the page, throw it on the screen. It's a movie. <laughs> Boom. And Lord of the Rings is not one of those books at all. I, I think we could argue the Balrog is actually also well-conceived because even though it's that scene is nearly word identical to the book, they did the thing where you don't see it as distinctly. They didn't say, oh, here's a Balrog. You know, we all know that from D&D &D what a Balrog yes, is. I had the monster manual. <laughs> Let's bring one out, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, the Balrog. I think that's one of my favorite <laughs> scenes in the movie is that you bring him out. He's still, you can't see him exactly. And Gandalf's funny when you're like, this poor old man, we've thought of him as a wizard. We thought of him as powered. Like, oh, he can actually battle this huge thing. All right. You know, it's a great, <laughs> great bet. Yeah. That was my favorite part of showing these movies to my son was, I remember, I don't remember if we had taken a break between discs or not, but of course, you know, so Fellowship ends and Gandalf's gone and everything, and Two Towers opens, I don't know if it's in the very opening, but somewhere near the very beginning of Two Towers, it's like, uh, they take you back to, hey, you remember Gandalf falling down in the pit? Guess what? He's falling, and he's next to this guy, and that was that's how you know that Gandalf is back, and he was so excited to see that, like, it's, it reminds me of the beginning of Castle in the Sky, where they show the, the girl falling off of the... Uh, the airship and then the credits roll and then they resume on her falling well so you come back to this movie and it's like 
guess what? He's fallen down in the pit. That wasn't the end of him. Him falling down with the Balrog, it's a really deep pit, and they're fighting as they fall. <laughs> they made that. It was Frodo was having a dream, which I forgot until I saw the films that they'd struck that, that he wakes, and so you don't you see him fall. You see that whole part, and you get that emotional resonance of the end of the film, of, you know, of the end of that part, and then, uh, or of the uh, Gandalf's end, I should say, and then they break away, so that Gandalf can tell it later when he meets oh, up yeah. with... Oh, yeah, it was somewhere in the second movie. Like, if, if you had been waiting between the movies, but of course, he's not waiting between the movies he just we got to see the end of that one and then the mm-hmm. next one like at some point they show you like and it's like resuming in progress like you thought it was the end but like you know, when people fall into bottomless pits you're like well if they're bottomless <laughs> wouldn't they still be falling guess what he was still falling and while he was falling he was still fighting the balrog and then that was an exciting scene can we all at least agree that gandalf the gray is way cooler than gandalf the white who has a giant staff up his butt no, Gandalf the White has things to recommend him. Gandalf the White is boring. He's too powerful. Gandalf He's the White too is Jesus. too powerful. Eh, Gandalf the Grey is too big, big of a hippie. Yeah. I love Gandalf the Grey. He's got character. Homespun clothes, smokes a lot of pot. He's got he's got a fireworks, fireworks. business on the side yeah. that he lives off of. That's like okay. But Gandalf the White has an important job to do again, dealing with geopolitics and important big boy stuff. And Gandalf <laughs> the Grey just wants to hang out with the hobbits. He's the Hillary Clinton of the Shire. You're saying his fireworks are neither safe nor sane, Andy. The wizards are a fascinating thing, I think, in the books too, because unless you read any of the background material, they make no sense in the books either. Like, yeah, we came out of the West and we've been here a long time, and yep, that's it. We got some amount of power. We're not telling you what it is. I, I started reading through the Wikipedia. <laughs> entry on the wizards and holy crap does that get confusing really the fast the wizards are confusing but in the book in the book i get the sense that the wizards you know in in the book they say the wizards are not humans the wizards are not right. men the wizards That's are right. some their own race. other race of 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 people and in the movies it's just like the wizards are guys with powers right they're they're just magic guys well they live forever and they you know they're thousands of years old and their powers are incredibly inconsistent like you're just like half the time you're like gandalf dude just like wizard this you know wizard this crap dude take care of it but he can whisper to the butterfly which then which works great calls the giant eagles see damn hippies but and you think he's a pretty badass and then like you know the the the, the witch king shows up at the end and is like i'm just gonna break her staff I'm just gonna explode it. <laughs> kaboom no man can defeat him dan that I don't is know if you've heard I had to. I had to look. I, at the yeah, I read that. I read that in Macbeth. The fields of Pel. Very nice. The fields of Pelennor. Well, also in the the trees from Dunsamain Woods. Yes, the, exactly. it's Dunsamain, right? The trees come. Like no, no man born of woman. Isn't no man it? born of woman, and the trees shall come to. Uh... Yeah, we're get, This is for our Shakespeare podcast. Save that for no, later. no, no. It's in the the, in the Helm's Deep. The trees come to the uh, Helm's Deep. So it's just like Macbeth. I'm sorry. It's the trees of Burnham Wood come towards Dunsinane. Just to get it right. Sorry. Shakespeare fans are going to be pissed. I know. Well, there's so many of them. <laughs> hey, I, uh, I I got an idea. Let's talk about the performances in this movie. What a good idea, Jason. John Syracuse has suggested that I do that. So it's <laughs> a wonderful idea. It is. John, do you want to talk about the performances to get us started? When you've got people in roles like this, like the, the script for the most part is set down like they're gonna have to say what they're gonna have to say it's gonna be lord of the rings stuff even if the lines aren't right from the book there's no really getting around the fact that you're gonna talk about magic and use lots of weird words and the hobbits are gonna talk like hobbits so it's like it's what you do with the material you talk about like you know han solo you know saying laugh it up fuzzball and he can sell that line it's not a well-written line but you know he can sell it uh and i so i'm judging these people by how well did you sell the kind of silly sounding out of context swiss cheese lines that you were given did i believe your performance um and i'll I'll let you guys talk about it who you thought but i just want to start with my least favorite performance in the entire series this is kind of a shame because he is the main character 
Elijah Wood as Frodo. <laughs> I do yeah. not like him. Totally I, agree. I do not think uh, he I does disagree. a good job I as disagree. Frodo. I, he's not a bad actor. He does his best with what he's given, but he just does not read as Frodo to me. I, and I don't know why he just doesn't. It's not. It's, it's not that. It's not that he, he. For me, it's not that he was bad. It's just that he was not my. Uh, in, in a in a movie where there's so many characters, uh, actors that really managed to nail things, with Elijah Wood, the only thing that I didn't like is that. Okay, he's gonna go. He's he, at some point he reaches down deep inside and he flips that switch and says, "Okay, and time to knit my brows and wide my eyes." And I'm looking at this, and now I'm going to knit my brows and wide yeah, my he's eyes. He's got that. He's got his Sam expression. He's got his ring yeah. expression. Like, the, and the reason I really didn't like him because he has the he has the pivotal scene in the entire movie where he changes his mind about the ring. And by that point, I'm just like, oh, just shut up, Elijah. I don't want to hear it. I don't believe that you've changed your mind or that you've struggled with this ring at all. It's so heavy. Oh, is it? I mean, it's just, he just, and it really, really hurts me because that part of the books, Sam and Frodo going through Mordor and doing that thing, works for me in the book, and I don't like him in the movie. I, I don't know if I agree with that entirely. I think that he and, and Sean Astin managed to pull out some, some otherwise, some scenes that we've all agreed are kind of dull and boring. You know, it yes, he's not... He's not given the most interesting material to work with, and his role is basically that of martyr for the second two books, especially. <laughs> Pronounced Mordor. No, wait. <laughs> Sorry. Martyr. Martyr. Mordor. Well, I mean, he, does, he, has, he only has, he's like the Kristen Stewart of this movie. He only has a few expressions <laughs> oh, that he makes. Oh, that's pretty, that whoa. seems pretty rough, man. He may, all right, but he doesn't have just one expression. He has like four. No, I'm going to agree. I agree with John, though. I was so tired. I'd forgotten, and I don't think I'd watched the whole sequence uh, for a couple years, and I'd forgotten how much i just blank out on elijah wood when he's on uh, on screen because i mean he's got the sloggy scenes and he's just i don't know I, it's frodo is stronger in the books and i think it works frodo has to be strong enough yeah. because you have to see his strength ebb away from you. you have to see him lose and instead of weathertop he practically gives up the fight or his eyes roll back in his head again and he puts the ring on and you're like if it's that easy he doesn't get to mordor he does seem awfully weak in that scene, right? Yeah, and, and and the two of them, like Sam, Sam holds up his weight more than than Frodo and the Sam Frodo relationship in the movie. But even, I mean, he does his his is gimmicky. His performance is a little gimmicky too. What's his name? Sean Astin. Mm-hmm. But he does better than Frodo. But the two of them, like they're they're such a tough little like tough little plumbers in in the book and in the movies. They're just two guys. So so what so who's your favorite or not favorite performances from other people? I'd say favorite is uh I'd say Viggo Mortensen. Oh yeah, I love him. He, cer- he certainly commits to that role. Oh, you gotta that, give him that. He is a he. That man is a method actor. Like he is, he's like a Daniel Day Lewis, right? Like I think he just totally, he totally embraces it and totally rolls with it. And well, I wouldn't go Daniel Day Lewis. Maybe <laughs> I'm just saying. I I think I think from an element of you know you were talking about people who can spew nonsense and sound like it's actually they're actually talking about something real. I think he does a great job with a role that has a ton of jargon, and yet he looks like he just completely believes in it. Well, and Peter Jackson decided that he was the most relatable character, essentially, for mainstream audiences in an action uh, fantasy movie, and 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 so you know, Aragorn's like the main character of the movie in many ways. He he has, I think, he doesn't have the weight, the emotional weight of of Frodo's journey, but he has much more to do throughout yeah, he's, he's more boring in the book than he is in the movie yeah oh, I mean, yeah he's agreed. very tedious in the book it's a decision i mean when they decided to make this make these movies and have the big action scenes and all of that you know the decision is that one through line will be 
Frodo and Sam in the Ring and and Gollum, and the other one is the the awesome adventures of Aragorn, right? And <laughs> and I, and I think Viggo Mortensen does a great job. He does have a little bit of a personal struggle too. Like they give him a little bit of sure. a personal struggle with like, do I want this crown and like that? And whole do I want to take his elf, his my elf, elf girlfriend? Well, they even put the hand. Yeah. He puts the hand over the ring, which I don't think it happens in the uh, at the end of Fellowship. I don't think Aragorn ever directly confronts taking the ring and he does and i think that's a great little if it's an addition which i think it is it's a great little bit where he everyone is obliged to come to confront the ring in the movie not everyone is obliged in the books to say that's not mine i have it's put in front of me you know faramir's rejection is very critical obviously but aragorn's in the movie i think is just the same he took his chance he said okay he lets frodo go away and moves on to his own story well, and I think the, the fact that they do a good job of, though he is, you know, a good-looking guy, he also comes across with a, a certain amount of menace and ill yeah. repute, especially in his introduction. Um, there's a certain amount of, you know, scariness to him. And I remember, I remember watching the uh, the trailer for the first time, and I was looking at him like, oh, that guy looks kind of rough. And my friend Jen, who is like died in the wool, diehard Lord of the Rings fan, was like, <laughs> come on, all that is gold does not glitter, which is the the Tolkien line from the from the yeah the poem. And, uh, I think Vigo does a good job of also selling the fact that uh, that Aragorn in the movies is a competent warfighter. Like he's he's able he's 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 not like a pretty boy like like some people. He sells the fact that this guy is this is the guy who would be dangerous with a sword because he's been using a sword his entire life, and you don't want to get into a fight with him. Like I really believe that he is, well, and it's not ceremonial, right? That, that he is the match of of five orcs. I I totally buy that from his performance because he's so severe and you know serious he is a little bit it goes into a little bit of self-parody but again the things he has to say you know there's a wonderful line that wonderful line too that i think is directly from the books which is i think he would look you know i don't think he's an agent of mordor because yeah, i think would, he would was it look he would look fairer and seem fouler yep that's the line right i think it's also right from the book yeah they, they drop those in there and sometimes it's like oh wait hey that talking guy had a way with words out oh, back to the script so <laughs> so my my pick for um and I was just trying to think, who do I think is the best performance in this in this movie? I'm going to say Bernard Hill as mm. Theoden. I think partially this is because he's got a really interesting uh, story arc that he begins as this kind of uh, he's been enchanted by Wormtongue and he's all confused and all. But I, I get the sense with him that he has a you know he he has a, a a lot that he has to think about and that I really like that he he's a good man but he's got a lot of responsibilities and he's not entirely sure that the the quest that everybody else is going is the be- he has to be convinced that it's the best thing for his kingdom because he's concerned he knows what his job is he re- he's resigned to death twice in this, in yeah. this series of movies once at helm's deep and then he and then he agrees after that to say all right i'll go die with you in this other place yeah yeah and it's a re- it's a really interesting character you know he's not one of the main characters but you get that sense of weight that this is a man who you know first off he had this terrible you know enchantment thing happened to him but that he was a good man before he's a good man again he's really concerned about his people he's skeptical of the whole uh the obviously the relationship between rohan and gondor has cooled over the years right so he's like why should we you know why should we take care of gondor if they don't they don't take care of us it's just it's a really interesting performance and yes and he dies at the end and it's very sad and the reason that theoden works i think is because unlike gondor rohan is populated 
Gone. No one's yes. listening. Gondor. It's like it's like it's like you know Ghost Washington D.C. It's like a bunch of monuments, but then I guess tourists. You know, Ghost Town is in the mountains. Oh, that's true. Fair, fair point. In the movies, that was the weirdest thing. Is given that they could have populated stuff with CGI. Gondor has an enormous population. It's shrunken, but Rohan has a fewer number of people. But in the movies. They portrayed it as if Gondor was totally depopulated, which was bizarre. Yeah. And that's why you feel about Theoden, because he's like, oh, he's his, he's responsible for all these people, and they're all looking to him, and it's on, they're on this windswept yeah. hill, and it's cold, and they're all going to die, and you know, we're going to go to this this keep and just hope that the orcs don't kill us in the night. And, yeah. you know. But I like that performance. Uh, you know, it, it, there's a lot of dignity and 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 uh, just a weight to to that character that I really like, and I'm reminded, I'm surprised by it when I watch it because I'm like, oh right, because he's he's juxtaposed with John Noble who has a, who has a a tougher task and is just chewing the scenery, and you know I like John Noble <laughs> and he's in Fringe and it's great and all, but you compare his his. Uh, his his stuff to Bernard Hill, and it's like I, I'm always pleasantly surprised by Theoden and what an interesting and and multi dimensional character is that he's he gets, he, he gets you, a little you, more time you, too. He does get more time, and he gets more time where he's not completely just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> what you're suggesting? He wouldn't set himself on fire and throw himself off a wall? It's so it, it it's actually rare in in lots of movies. It's rare to see somebody who you can tell that they. Uh, this character has their own motivations and they may be at cross purposes with the plot and the characters that we like in the movie. And it's not that they're a villain. It's just that they, they aren't motivated in the same way and they have to work out what they really think about what's going on. And that Theoden really does that. And Bernard Hill carries that off. So I think that's a really great character. His character is in this, and I think this is where Bernard Hill portrays him so well. And I think the script serves him well is He's a, a man. He's a king. He's a leader. But he's a man among what he seems as, you know, gods and legends. There's the wizard. There's hobbits and elves. And, you know, God knows. And there's, you know, the, the return of the king. This is the guy who was the direct descendant, a man of Numenor, this whole thing in the book. And then Bernard Hill humanizes that. It's like, he's like, I don't even know if I'm worthy to be mentioned among, you know, my predecessors. And he finds that in himself, even though, you know, because he needs to for his people. It's a great, great job. Other, uh, other uh, performances to praise from people? Kate Blanchett, who I love Kate Blanchett. Didn't she do all of her scenes in in like with the camera sped up so that they're in slow motion? No, did she really? She doesn't actually talk this like slowly. this that they actually the way they the way they shot her scenes to make her seem kind of ethereal is they shot it at a, at, with the camera running at a higher frame rate and then slowed it down and then she redubbed her dialogue but that the whole idea was to make her seem almost like out of step from everybody else and that's oh, why that's she's interesting. all But what's funny so what what, I, what I'll say about that character is she's there are a couple scenes that I really like. I like where she she basically says, "If I take the ring, I, you know, yeah. you think I'm all pretty and wonderful, but I would be a terrible, terrible." Oh, that's a great runner, right? bit, and then yes. and then she also gives her her uh, her scene with Gimli, where he's you know talk big about oh stupid elves they don't know, and then he's oh my lady you're so beautiful, and she gives him. Uh, uh, it turns out she gives him what three of her hairs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he asks. He asks for it. That's what he wants. Well, yeah, he sweet. he wants one. She gives him three, right? But that that's a really sweet scene, and and it's funny because it, that character. Those are the little notes that you get that that uh, fill out that character because she doesn't have a lot to do. I also say for for me as a super geek, well, it, you know, a I liked her performance quite a bit. I thought they and they tried to to put her in. I mean, she becomes the connective tissue. And then she's the narrator for the opening bit in Fellowship of the Rings, which and they use her character better, I think, to enhance the fact that there's you know more than one woman in the movies, which is hard to see. She's all over the place, <laughs> and they're using her a bit in The Hobbit, I think, that way. There are three as well. There are three women. It's true. There are three women. There's Eowyn, 
uh, Galadriel and Arwen. That, or, Arwen, Liv, Arwen, and uh, but I thought I thought she got the tone just right. Is that there's this odd thing about the elves have preserved essentially three kingdoms. We only see two of them, and where everything is of the past. And they shoot Rivendell that way. They shoot. Uh, they shoot. Um, well, I can't remember the name of it. They shoot uh, Lothlorien that way as well, Lorien, that it looks like it's out of keeping and they make her even more ethereal. But then she's brought that to Earth and she's given that moment. And I thought Blanchett's performance of that was great. And as a super geek, super Tolkien fan, that is something that is deeply rooted. That moment is traced back where she turns down the ring, is traced back to practically the the early history that Tolkien set in that she's a descendant of, you know, someone who basically caused the elves to leave, who allowed, um, you know, the great evil to come into Middle-earth, and her moment of rejecting that in the book is one of the key moments. And I think they played the scene well. I think she played it well. And it comes across as meaning something more than just, oh, she turned down the ring like everybody else. Because I will diminish. That's what she says. I'll diminish? Yeah. Yes, she's going to go in the West. And go into the West and remain Galadriel. Another example of... of she them, passed the know. test. I feel like we, uh, we skipped over I, Ian McKellen, who... I think I don't. Know, I love I love his performance as Gandalf. To me, he is he is now you know forever burned in my mind as Gandalf. He is the best headmaster Hogwarts has ever had. <laughs> so so are you are you wait is, are we are we at criticism? I want no. I I, I I think he does great as Gandalf. He's fantastic. He's great. I mean, I that was one of my moments of concern when you know they started talking about filming The Hobbit. Was like, well, Jesus, you know, could you have someone else do this? Could you have someone else play Gandalf? And I feel like. For me, it would have been it would have been weird. It would, like he is just so identified with that character in my head. There's another great job of of inhabiting a character and and arguably two characters depending on how you view Gandalf, Gandalf the Gray and Gandalf the White. Right, well, he regenerates. It's a very Doctor Who. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> but he does, he may he may just do a good job of keeping of keeping them distinct while yet clearly the same character. It would have been a shame if he wasn't able to do the Hobbit and Michael Gambon had to. <laughs> step in <laughs> but you know no he, it's great it's a great performance um and i at, at no point I, i'm glad it was christopher lee as saruman and and not patrick stewart because again i would be confused with other movies <laughs> but it's a great it's a great performance it, it's funny because he's been in all this genre stuff now but he is a, he's a great actor and you want that uh, older english uh you know english shakespearean actor with a lot of gravitas and yet and he has that, and he also has all those really nice, funny, light touches as they get off the grave before he gets the staff up his butt. So. He's very warm. And he has a couple, someone in the chat room pointed out the, he gets a couple good lines in, as Gandalf the White, including in Return of the King, the, don't say anything about Aragorn or anything about the ring. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> don't really say anything at all. The, the Joss Whedon uh, dialogue section of the movie. I know we're not talking about The Hobbit, but there is a very little funny moment, which is he goes into Bilbo's front parlor and knocks his head into the the um, chandelier light, yep. just like he does. And I was like, all right, that's cute. Like, you're making sure yeah. we're watching and that we saw the other movies. So, yep. all right. I, I like him a lot. I like Christopher Lee, too, although for a very different reason, because he's, he's, like, just awesome. I, I think one of the reasons Ian McCullen didn't come up is because uh, he's so good in the role. I don't even think of... Him as Ian McKellen. Yeah, I mean, I just think like yeah. he inhabits it. It's a no, perfect it's portrayal. It's There's no, yeah, you don't stand back from it and go, oh, yeah, he did a great job. I was like, You're no, right. that's just well, he's. That's what that's what happens when you have an actress selling the lines. Like I, I gave you my least favorite one was Elijah Wood. Uh, I'm not sure if, if he would be my favorite, but he's close because he has to say ridiculous things too, and he manages <laughs> to say every single one of them. And like 
in a way that's perfectly fitting with the character. When he's supposed to be like a rascal who loves hobbits, you totally believe he's a rascally wizard who loves hobbits. When he has to be dignified and Gandalf the White, you believe him in that role. And, and at every stage, like I said, it doesn't seem like he's playing a role. We don't we don't see his acting. Even when he says that crazy thing in Moria, which is a great scene, I mean, one of the many great scenes, where he's like, I am the keeper of the secret flame, I am, a, you know. You totally buy it. Which is nonsense. And then he does it, but you're like, it's actually, it's, you know that he's, in the book, you're just like, oh, this is stuff Gandalf says. In the movie, he sells it as he is reinforcing his own belief. He has to remind himself yep. Yep. of who he is. And then just to be able, in the book, I mean, the lines are, fly, you fools. He says it, you're like, wow, that was great. <laughs> that actually... Well, yeah, that, that line still gives me that's, chills. Wow. Such a great scene. That, that guy's wow. a good actor. He has a bright future in the industry, I feel like. He does. And uh, in the even the beginning when he's talking to Bilbo uh, about the ring and, you know, Bilbo tries to keep it for a bit and, you know, is afraid Gandalf is going to try to steal the ring from him and he does the whole draw himself up, Bilbo Baggins. You know, right. I, I think that's great. <laughs> yep. Not a mere conjurer. Don't take me for so. Yeah. Do we have other other positive things before we go back go back to the negative? <laughs> the palant the palantir presentation because the palantirs are a ridiculous device in the books. Uh, I had to do a lot of pausing to explain those things. <laughs> oh my! Well, because okay, so there's magic in the books, and there's lots of people being able to have visions, and Galadriel can see afar, and they've got the secret elvish rings, like all this you know stuff permeating it, and the great eye of Sauron can cast his eye and see. So there's all of this sort of far seeing already. But the palantirs are the closest thing to like technology. I'm like it's the internet. Yeah, they've got. Wi-Fi on those crystal globes. And they can, <laughs> yeah, the internet is it really is it is very internet-y. It, but it's a, it's a party line, dangerous party line. Well, it's more like a security camera. This is this is my first time uh, my first time watching the movies since uh, reading Dark Tower, and of course, I, I for John, I started thinking of Black Thirteen immediately, which I had never made that connection before. I, I, I don't. Yeah, so like it's like we said, all these things that seem like they're uh, have been done before. It's like yeah, in nineteen. Well, whatever. Right, exactly. <laughs> much, much later, there were clearly homages to this. But yeah. Well, the but the, the so the Palantir. I think the way they use them in the movie was more effective. I mean, obviously you can do it visually. I understand that, but even the way that I picture them being used, I thought was sort of. I have to say, my own imagination was blander than what they did in the film, where they used you know they're sort of burning flames of. And um, they showed Sauron having kind of hijacked the network more effectively, too. He was the original hacker. He hijacked that Palantir network and turned it to his own ends. Uh, but it's a, it's a more effective thing. You can't do, like, in the books, in any book or any magical item, you can you can imbue a, a boring physical item with incredible menace and, and import. And the only way to do that in a movie is visually, unless you have narration, right? Because you can't spend an hour talking well, about someone's audit- feelings. Auditorily, going, too. I know, but like it's not – you have to change it for the movie like to convey the same sense of power. I think you can get a lot of – like again with the Dark Tower, there's a lot of things in, in Stephen King books, for example, that have incredible uh, menace to them. And visually there's nothing interesting about them because it's all about the description and the, the effects they have on the, the internal mental dialogue of people that you just don't hear in movies. Well, and in some ways, you know, the, I mean a good counterexample to that is The Ring, right? Like which is in and of yeah, itself. It has its own visual effects in the movies too, but yeah. Well, that, it does, I mean, but that's not the important part. Like that's so little of the time that you see The Ring on screen I think is devoted to its effects or its, you know, its special presence. It's the, the effect it has on the people who carry it and the people around it. And what it makes them do, I think, is is far more interesting as a as an artifact. Can I uh, can I say that uh, I know it's a thankless part, but Liv Tyler not only is she the person who, if you see her on screen, mm. you could go to the bathroom if you're in the theater, or yeah. even if you're not in the theater. <laughs> 
<laughs> you're just sitting on your couch. You can. Just... I gotta go to the bathroom right now. Someone's someone's watching it somewhere in the world. Should we pause it? No, don't. Just let it run. <laughs> let Dan it run. Dan mentioned on a recent podcast that when M Night Shyamalan's name came up on the screen, everybody booed. <laughs> well, the, bo- both times that I saw Fellowship, because I believe I saw it twice in the theater. Both times I saw it in the theater when Liv Tyler appears on the screen, everybody laughed, and it's just because, like, at that particular moment in time when that movie was put out, she was in that particular place in pop culture. That seeing her yeah. as an like people couldn't she take was her overexposed. seriously. It's like, it's like oh, it's it's lift. Yeah, and they, they laughed both times when she when which, she appeared, which is a shame because it's not a bad performance. I know she she does fine. It's just that it was she just happened to be in that place in pop culture that we couldn't buy her as that person when she came it, on. It's a thankless performance, though. It's a thankless performance because she she has nothing to do and i don't think she's a very good actress either so i don't think she's a bad actress i, I and i don't think she's even bad in this movie it's just the subject matter is not great. she's not a very good actress but that's the black hole of this movie when when that because that <laughs> that is a plot that i mean that that's where it feels calculated to me it's like we don't have we need more female characters we need some more romantic elements we're going to put in this subplot uh, about their relationship the flash forward scene with their babies and the, the his coffin and everything. I liked that. That was that that scene I liked. Right? But they're trying to add to the movie. They said we have to have her something to do. <laughs> but but can't, they can't just have her show up at the end and they're like, "Hey, we're married oh. now." It's like, who the hell is this? <laughs> That's what they do in the book, practically. That was like a that was like a Minority Report moment where it's like, in the future, if you stay, you know. He gets married and he has a job. Like, oh my god! I just always picture the voiceover of the part where the kid wearing the necklace is like totally stole your necklace. The elf stuff, where it feels like the elf stuff. You know, again with with um, with Galadriel, it feels like she's underwater and you're underwater, and it's all this weird, slow kind of strange feeling. And it, they do that with Liv Tyler too, and it, it just feels like I'm being smothered to death. That yeah, she can't carry. Kate Blanchett can carry that off, but Liv Tyler cannot. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly right and so you know it's not her fault and yet that that for me i so i i guess not the performance but the character and, she, she and, does a good when she's on the horse with a sword i buy that sure. i buy a young 19 year old looking <laughs> elf on, on you know it's one hell of an entrance it's when they're in an enchanted grotto in in uh you know in, yeah. oh. or when she's whining to her daddy that she wants to date the boy that she wants to date like it's too much of a crossover. You're all thousands of years old. Okay, is it is is this the second Little Mermaid comparison you've made? To one of the kick-ass characters from Lord of the Rings. Yep. Why don't you kiss the edge? <laughs> don't be so much of yourself. Just kiss the edge. Oh, wow. It's not good. It's just not. It's not. No one needs a song to encourage them to kiss the elf. It's kissing the filthy humans. That's the problem. Well, if they'd shave once in a while, maybe you know. Eowyn is an interesting character. I like that actress too. I really like and her. Miranda Otto. She's great. It, oh, she's, she's forced fantastic. into this. Into this, I actually think that the problem with the character is that she's forced into this kind of ridiculous pining over Aragorn. That I, I think I, I know you didn't like that, but yeah. I I, th- I bought that because she really is trapped in this bad family slash kingdom situation. Well, that's true. Yeah, her her parents <laughs> are, her parents are dead. Her surrogate father has been you know weak on the throne. Her brother. Has been killed. Oh, no, not her brother, but her cousin, no, her father, her, her, right? Uh, they had an son. Is her killed. brother is uh, Bones McCoy? Yeah, her brother. Her brother has been banished and is out with all the other horse guys riding around. And Aragorn comes in and like the Aragorn is a way out for her, and so of course she's going to cling to him. And I like the fact that that clinging doesn't lead to anything because the only reason she was clinging was like, well, freedom. He can lead me out of yeah. this life, and and she what does? I really too believe that she wants to be a warrior and stuff, which is not easy to pull off if you're supposed to be like. 
the pretty princess girl, yeah. and I'm supposed to believe you want to go off to war. Oh, I she liked all that. to do that very well. She just seemed sharper to me. To cl- She clung to Aragorn, I felt like, for longer. I would have liked to have seen her kind of figure figure out, you know, pst, he has an elf girlfriend who, but, but who he, forsook but immortality for him. Right? <laughs> right? So she should be like, oh, sorry. He encourages her more, though, in the in the movie. In the book, he's much cooler and fairer to her, and he feels bad from the start because she can feel – but she's the human link, right? She is she's the person he would marry. Yeah. In the movie, Aragorn is torn, too. Yeah, he would marry her. If, she, if, if, if Arwen didn't exist, this is who he would marry. It's another kingdom. It would be the right thing. It would be a good yeah. merging of the people. It's actually a good match. Yeah, and he's torn over like, do I really want to do this elf thing? Am I, I because he feels bad about like I'm keeping you here with me instead of going west with your family. It's it's not yeah, it's not my favorite part of the movie, but I like that. I really like that character, and she has stuff to do and is interesting in a way that Liv Tyler is not uh, able. She has nothing. She's got nothing. I, I'm amazed that no one picked uh, Gollum because I remember when the movies were first out, oh. everyone was raving about Gollum's performance in the motion capture, and I think you he's know the CG fine. is great and Circus yeah. does a good performance and everything, but yeah. What they have Gollum do in the movie feels a lot more, not one note, but let's say two note. Uh, and Gollum in the books feels m- more multivariate to me. Well, he's a, he's a, you know he's a, he's a crack addict, so he really is all about crack. That is the one <laughs> note that keeps him going. Ring addict. Not that not that uh, Circus shouldn't be praised for the job he did. I just think that the f- people process the idea that oh well he got into the he got into the special suit with the markers on it and then they just aimed the camera at they uh, tracked him at it then they just simply basically dressed the model the uh, with all of his motions that really i i think it kind of just diminishes the amount of work that the animators put into that character because I mean, you you the amount of work that has to be done to take that motion data right. to take the performance data and actually turn it into Gollum is immense uh, given that uh, I, I was, I was I actually uh, was at a conference with one of the lead animators on Gollum uh, a few years ago, and she was explaining to me that well, the thing, the 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 big problem was that Gollum is a crack addict who weighs about ten pounds. <laughs> he has no meat on his bones whatsoever. Whereas Andy Circus is essentially is essentially an athlete with muscle and bo- and muscle and tissue. And so, like the legs, we had to make sure that we had to give him these spindly legs that would sort of move in with each other and like move as though there's no flesh of any kind that was preventing those 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 legs from doing things that no human legs would possibly do and that's the sort of thing that sort of made me think oh, okay i guess i'm stupid and thinking that okay they didn't just push record and then say okay let's just drag this this this, this capture file onto this model file and then export it to iMovie good who's gonna squad for waffles yeah. Yeah, that's I think that's a lot of what people were praising yeah. at the time was wow what a technical achievement and it was but now is, we, yeah. in, with hindsight you can look okay technical achievement is fine and everything and we've done such a great job but let's just look at it as a character for, pretend I don't know how it was done how does that work and the character I feel yeah. is flatter than like people like oh it's a, what an amazing performance it, yeah you know uh, he he only especially with the the really very it, it struck me watching on the Blu-rays how pronounced they did the Smeagol versus Gollum split and yep. uh, like I bought that the first couple times I saw it but now I'm like are, like maybe it's just watching them all together I'm like okay we get it <laughs> yeah they do it they do it maybe one too many times but you know technically it is I I think it's one of the one of the most amazing cinematic achievements of the last you know maybe ever right the fact that the, this is a fully realized character oh I, I would still take yoda over him by the way talking about achievements of like <gasps> well yeah the original yoda sure yes yes that's what what is there any other yoda what are you talking about <laughs> touche 
Yoda puppet is great, but I mean the, the fact that they they have a CGI character, and he, you know, I asked my kids, uh, "How do you think you know they did Gollum?" And they said, "You know, they my I think my son said they found a very skinny man and put him in a little suit, and and it's like <laughs> no, he's from a computer entirely. It, it's it's amazing, Gollum himself. Yeah, he." You know, he's a funny character. He's a memorable character. There's no doubt about it. I mean, Trixie Hobbitses, right? That happens all... all you know, I bring... I speak like Gollum frequently. Perhaps I've said too much. But um, but he is... He is a... Uh, he has some plot points that he does. He needs to be an antagonist. To, he's the only thing interesting happening in those Sam and Frodo scenes, for God's sake. So, I mean, they're... they're <laughs> he, has a, he has a tough job because he's trying to, like, keep it interesting. Keep the plates spinning and uh but yeah i mean he is he's a he's like a comic relief antagonist you know about the other part that's like that though is Brad Dorif playing uh is that, you pronounce it Dorif right is playing it in uh, Dorf. Uh, Dorf? Dorf? Dorf. who's playing Dorf. it in um i don't know how you pronounce it uh how anyway, i don't know we're not in spain pronounce so. it nelvish Dorif, uh playing <laughs> worm playing uh grima worm tongue in the books it's a really ridiculous part i mean it's kind of like gollum in its way and i think the more the one role that i think i've liked more the more i've watched the films is brad dorif that i think he is able to take a sort of ridiculous role where the guy's serving two masters or whatever and i think he actually pulls a lot of nobility out of this um, you know lick spittle part uh, I, I think that's more of a one note character than, than yeah me gollum too is. no well you remember you have to remember the scene now. i don't know if it's in the extended his name is worm tongue well his name is grima but why would you trust that guy yeah don't don't if the guy's name is worm tongue yeah don't have him as your advisor hey, see, oh god my 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 advisor's name is john bad advice like i'm just gonna go with that guy whatever that guy says sign me up brett Durf is great but he's i've seen him do that bit he did it in babylon yeah. 5 he did it in the x files it's what he does and he does it here. it's funny because he voices i'm playing a video game right now where he plays he's the voice actor for one of the characters and it's like i can he- i can see green yeah. warrington every yeah. time i look at wasn't you. he didn't he do that role in dune also yeah well he was the mentat in dune yeah mentat uh, well he same was, he, he was a little nervous and fidgety. A turn he was a turncoat his name was a uh, phil backstabber i think was in that movie <laughs> yes <laughs> he's typecast in roles that are just described by their character names he was the murderer eugene tombs in the x-files yeah. so yeah this is what no he's the he's the guy that i but he's the scene that i like with him though that i think is the is the part that's terrific is both the scene with saruman at the at end when they both are killed but the one where he's talking to Eowyn and he has this discussion you know he's like yeah, where they where he's trying here. sort of to seduce her and I actually think it's a great little scene that's yeah. his moment that's and that's her moment too because that defines her character his moment is skeezy he's already skeezy he's, it's a <laughs> subtle moment yeah. you think that he may actually be working her no I don't know <laughs> no <laughs> I know I don't think that uh, okay. I don't know I'm not sure I stand that. alone that's that subtlety but he can't even stab Saruman right. I don't know. <laughs> people in the chat room were complaining about my saying Yoda was better than Gollum. I want to address these people now. <laughs> Would you what, like you're going to stand on a soapbox and address them? Well, I have time to heat up a microwave pizza. The reason I say Yoda is is more impressive is because, like, is you know, it's like wow, computers are like you have so much more freedom with a computer. It's much more difficult to have a bunch of foam on a guy's hand and then buy it as a dramatic part than it is to do computers. At this stage of the technology was, I'm saying that the achievement of making someone's hand shoved up into a doll with a foamy face, Muppet. buying that is, mu- is a much greater amazing achievement than 
making Gollum with computers. Not that the Gollum was an awesome with computers, he wasn't everything, but you just have so much more freedom. I mean, like, Yoda can't, you can't even see his feet. Well, that said, but like CGI, you know, like the same problem. Every time you look at CGI, you become, you know, painfully aware that it is CGI. And I think you can subsume that to a certain degree with Gollum. But I agree with you. I, I mean, I, I agree with you that I like Yoda as a Muppet because it's like sort of the Ian McKellen effect where it's like, I don't see a puppet. I see Yoda. Mm. Um, and with Gollum, I'm still always in the back of my head aware that, like, it's not the lighting's not quite right. And it's a CG. Like, I'm I'm not as bothered by the helicopter shot. But Go- Gollum is very Gollum is very close. But the problem is Gollum has to be human a little bit. So, like, when I see Yoda, I say, for all I know, that alien skid looks exactly like foam rubber. <laughs> I think I, I, I think the difference between respect and admiration and actually thinking it's it's more solid. I mean, and let's just I'm I'm going to talk about Star Wars just as an illustration of this concept, but uh I think that the Yoda puppet had uh, at least as much person personality if not more than the CGI version version, but the fact that they had the freedom to say, well, we if we were shooting a real actor, we would have an establishing shot in which he walks into the frame and then takes a position on a, hits a mark right in front of this person he's going to have to talk to, and the ability to actually do that shot in CGI, I think that that's you know that that, that that's a more solid choice, and that's that's why Gollum is I, I think he's a more realized character than than Yoda was in puppet form. Well, you can't do Gollum as a puppet. It was more, pre- because, it was more present because of what he's asked to do. No, I'm, I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying in terms of like being being impressed by the technology. I mean, I think when you do it via CGI, there's so much more you can do with it. Oh yeah, I'm impressed by the technology. I just don't necessarily buy it as a okay. from a character. It takes me out of it a little bit. I think the same thing with Jason okay. was saying about the helicopter shots. Uh-huh. It's just like I'm I'm aware of it. <laughs> But I, but I am impressed. I really, I like him as a character. I think it's the difference between the Hobbit version. I'm sorry, the the version in the movie, The Hobbit, and the version of the first Lord of the Rings movie, because they were able to to wire up that face so much better, like and, and rig it so much better uh, for the Hobbit that there's that extra. I believed it with the first movie, but when you compare the two. I didn't even think about how impressive this the CGI character was in The Hobbit. It just okay. There's Gollum. Don't know how they did. I, I, I don't even have to think about how they did that. That's just a really good lifelike character. Now is the time when uh, I believe, as a fellowship, we should uh, consider going our our separate ways and saying goodbye. So I'm considering this the end of this episode. What else should we talk about? I thought we had another hour to go. Oh, we do. That was just the first ending. Oh shoot! <laughs> There's plenty more to talk. About. I just wanted to work in some endings. In in two hours, we all get on a boat. I want to talk about my favorite other scene in the movie of my many favorite scenes in the movie. I have about seven favorite scenes. So there's 15 endings. I have seven favorite scenes. It's like one the, per two hours. Pelin- the Battle of Pelennor Fields, I think, is a wonderful thing. It's tr- it's actually, I think, one of the most readable battle scenes in the book and it's it goes it has a lot of interesting detail and it tells the story very well with even with so much action on tolkien tends to do like army generals he throws wave after wave of people and orcs at each other at times and the movie does that too but palinor fields uh in the movie it's you know it's sort of a crazy amount of action there's all the giant elephant monsters that come in the oliphants that come in and um wave after wave of things happening but there's that bit with the wraith with the um with the uh witch king and where a when the reason that all different themes have come together you know some going back thousands of years now in the book's mythology uh it all comes together and she's there for the right reason and um Mer- pippin's pippin no mary pippin 
I can't even keep One of those. Is it Charlie from Lost guys. or the other one? Is it Mary or is it Pippin? I've lost track of the scene we're it's talking one about. one of those guys. <laughs> There's a hobbit in it and... It's a guy with the brown... I don't Main know. hobbit, fat hobbit, Charlie from Lost <laughs> and the other oh hobbit. Oh my god. <laughs> <sighs> well, anyway, so they're, one of the hobbits is there. And he's got the sword in the books. It's Pippin. I'm sorry. It's Pippin is there. Uh, and he's got the sword in the books. They describe that he got a sword in the Tom Bombadil scene that is the only thing that could possibly affect the Witch King. So in the book, it all comes together more, but it still plays in the movie that you have this bit where the battle is going, it goes back and forth. You know, it looks like everything may be lost. This is the, the moment, you know, in the movie, it can't happen. There's going to be some kind of outcome. And then uh, we have Theoden's downfall. He's knocked over. The Witch King comes in, the head ring wrath to sort of, you know, uh, to finish him off and to eat, you know, take the horse and the whole thing. It's a great bit. And then Eowyn comes up. Um, it's more in the book. She's hidden her identity for this long. She is going to, you know, she battles this guy. And then she lets the air out of the witch king. Shush. And she, she's got a big, uh, she, he's got the big flail. He's going to conquer this woman who suddenly seems weak, even though she's a shield maiden, right? And then Pippin just, you know, cuts his leg, basically stabs him. And Achilles heel. Exactly, yeah, exactly, and then she's able to <laughs> to kill him, and then it's suddenly like that's the turning. They've this great moment happens. That's the turning of the tide, and it's. I think it's a wonderful scene. That that scene's not bad. I like the extended edition scene with the mouth of Sauron, where Aragorn <laughs> yes. just decides, like, nah, I've had enough of this. Just cuts, cuts his head, head off. off. <laughs> that is a creepy. That, that is a wonderful scene. That, that is, is the creepy creepiest effect. thing. Oh, in the yeah. whole movie. The, the, the mouth, which isn't quite right as a mouth, is very creepy. Sort of too big and the strange <laughs> and upside and down. The lips and... move weird, and it's all is creepy. Yeah. Creepy mouth. So there's two of Glenn's favorite scenes from, two or scenes. one of Glenn's favorite scenes. Well, it's been great. I really enjoyed being on the show, and yeah, it's been great. But it's sadly it's time. I think maybe we must all go into the West now and. And uh, because I'm feeling that the world is at an end, so we may have to all say goodbye. What else should we talk about? What was the deal with Galadriel and Gandalf? What was that about? Oh, I think you know what the deal was. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Caliborn, wasn't she married to him? I don't know. They're ring bearers. No, she, I thought she was married to the other dude. Caliborn. guy in the forest. Caliborn. Caliborn. Whatever you want to call him. Celery. <laughs> Caliborn. But that's not the guy from the Matrix, Celery right? the Cinnabon. No, no. She's not married that's to Elrond. 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 Elrond's wife was killed by orcs long ago. What? By... <laughs> it's true. Read the books, man. I did, like 10 years ago. His wife, that's why he hates orcs. Do you ever wonder why Elrond hates orcs so much? Everybody hates orcs. Does anybody like <laughs> no, no. orcs? Saruman loves them. He hangs out with them all the time. No, 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 no. Saruman doesn't like orcs. Here's the thing about orcs. Urukai. I mean, let's, let's talk about orcs. <laughs> orcs are terrible. They're really bad at their jobs. They die very easily. You can have like a thousand orcs and five guys and they just kill all the orcs. <laughs> They're the stormtroopers of the Lord of the Rings. They are the stormtroopers, right. So, so... So Saruman doesn't like orcs. That's why he goes to all the trouble of cutting down all the trees and mining all the metal so he can make Urukai. Because Urukai are actually kind of competent warriors. In a, yeah, they're they're because <laughs> the they, dance warriors. The, they dance the haka speak, and they play. Speaking rugby of, uh, and, yes. of great performances, as we were earlier, can we just give a, a a good a hand to all the people who play the orc extras? I I got ah. They do a great job. They're they're great. <laughs> no, I love the ones, especially the ones who have lines with the with the crazy like New Zealand and British accents and everything. The makeup is awesome on some of those. They do a great job with the makeup and yeah. and just oh the, man. The physicality and everything of it. I love it's, the orc, awesome. like, sergeant, or what was he? The guy with the great misshapen head with the limp and the sort of half arm who's sort of pinkish, like, like colored like a, a racer. And that giant stone comes lobbed at him and he stands aside. I think that Peter was... Jackson loves that because he's got a blue one in The Hobbit. 
Mm. <laughs> you're right. You're right. But the Urukai much scarier. I just like I like this. I like the simple ones, like the one uh, in in uh, Mordor who takes uh, when when uh, Frodo's all tied up in the in the web. I like you know. I just I don't know. Is there something? He's kind of you know. He's like a he's like a London dock yeah, worker. The, the, yeah, the yeah. Mord- the Mordor arcs have something going for them. They have more of like a sniveling, sneaky nature. I feel like they're like the Urukai are just big dumb brutes, but the the Mordor orcs like yeah, they're wimpy and they they're character. cowardly, but like there's the guys. Who, they're blue collar orcs. Yeah, no, they're <laughs> they'll slit your throat in the night and steal your stuff and eat your livestock. That's, the orcs are like hatched too. Like that's something that's only hinted at in the books and appendices. It's never mentioned in the books. Well, they have no women to have sex with, so <laughs> they have to all be hatched. Well, there are no women. Apparently, like everybody reproduces asexually or like buds or something. I don't know. Except for the elves. Oh, the elves. Oh, the elves. They just don't, they don't reproduce. <laughs> the elves look yeah. at each other with a smoldering fashion for a couple years and then standing still. And a couple hundred years, probably. A couple hundred years. Then babies are born somehow. Somehow. They, yeah. The dwarves build their children out of stone. <laughs> they hew them. Oh, the dwarf women, you know. Look like they the dwarf beards. men. They right, got beards. beards. We can't tell the difference. Dwarf women have beards. That's one of the better added lines. That's from the books. I know we were trying to say positive things, but like what, something, something that comes up is the... Uh... John cannot fight his nature. No, come on. Let it out, John. Let it out. When I watch these movies, I know they're necessary for plot purposes, but I always like to ponder, like, do we really need the ants? I know it's sacrilege, but, like, yeah. because you do need them for so many important plot points, but I don't think they come off well in the movie. <laughs> there's some funny, you know, I like I like the ant meeting where there's the scene where, and my kids actually thought that was hilarious, where they're saying good morning and it's nighttime. That's a funny bit. And I like, I kind of like it when they get pissed off and they start throwing rocks at, at Saruman. Yeah. But in the end, they're in the end, they're walking trees and like somehow that works better in the book. than It does. for me. It does. John John is saying they're, John is saying they're Ewoks basically. Well, he's, he's, they didn't have quick beam. He's, he's right that, that, uh, that you've got to portray them. And (laughs) that makes you have to have sentient trees. And how the heck do you do that? Yeah, yeah. I think they lose me a little bit that part where the the ent, the uh, the young ant steals the speeder bike and draws all the orcs away. <laughs> Actually, it's it's exactly like Return of the Jedi, except once the speeder bike hits the tree, the tree is really angry. It was my brother. <laughs> I well, I like that John Reese Davies gets double billing. Yes, because he's he's Gimli and Treebeard and Sala. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> they're digging in the wrong mines of Moria. <laughs> Oh, Whoa. that's good. I got that. Yeah, you far out, man. That I I'm like really the tired. So I, I, I like the minds of Moria. I really like that. I think that the foreboding. John said it looked like a set earlier, but I like the foreboding. I like the comedy in the middle of it. There's the there's the bit. Um, there's that quiet part where we're Gandalf can't figure spell. out where to go, oh, and and they and they see oh, that Gollum good. is climbing, and then he's like, oh, yeah. you know. I, I like when Pippin knocks the thing down the well, and it just like keeps going. It oh, keeps going. It's so like funny. every time he thinks it's over, and it just keeps echoing down, and they got that great close shot on him just watching him wince every yeah. time it hits something we did open with me trying to do that but this it's pronounced melon but it is that very funny bit and it's funny in the books too where they're sitting in front of the doors and and Gandalf's like oh these doors used to be open they're open to all comers let's see it says speak friends and enter and then he tries like every smell and in the books it gets darker and darker they're there for hours he's trying everything he's learned over thousands of years and finally Frodo's like does it literally say speak friend and enter or are they saying speak the word friend and enter. He's like, oh, that's it. Once again, punctuation, the downfall of man <laughs> and dwarves. If he'd had you there, John, it would have been all set. Just some parentheses and a colon. So how come how come the writing on the dwarf door is in Elven? 
Because of oh god, don't ask that question because I'll give you an answer. I'm gonna give you an answer. It's like why it's like why everything is Latin. <laughs> oh wait. Oh never mind. No. I take it back. I take it back. All no. right. Don't Watch even out. rest Watch assured out. there is an explanation. Von Gogh dream <laughs> and the it would be ridiculous to think that Tolkien screwed up somewhere. But anyway, <laughs> I, I I like those I like that scene and it's not like a lot of the other, you know, these giant battles that happen later in the movie that in that scene or those series of scenes, it's dark and foreboding and the, and and they stop for a moment and there's some comedy and then and, and then the humor is immediately replaced, you know, once once they uh they 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 awaken all the all the guys. There's all coming. that foreboding. Although even there, there's that funny moment because there's that great line. Don't they have a cave troll, right? And then the cave troll comes, and it's really <laughs> awful. And then and then when they're back out after they defeat all the orcs very easily because orcs are easy to kill. Um, cave trolls not, but orcs are easy to kill. Uh, then they go out into the big open space, and I, I, I kind of like that that shot where oh, you know you can a... you can see that they're all coming and they're they're hopelessly outnumbered, but there's also like the fire off in the distance of the Balrog, and then everybody leaves again. They're like goodbye, I'm out of here, and that's really foreboding. And and I love that whole sequence. Well, and there's great that there's a nice uh, there's a through line there now too with the uh, the Hobbit as well because that's Balin's tomb mm-hmm. where they where they find themselves, and of course Balin is is in the Hobbit, is one of the dwarves. Ah. He's he's oh. he's expositiony dwarf in the Hobbit. He's he's <laughs> old dwarf. He's uh you know v- grizzled old dwarf. Balin exposition, I think his name. That's it. There we go. Uh, someone mentioned Howard Shore's score, which oh, yes. I will give a big thumbs up to. I I own all three uh, Lord of the Rings albums as well as I just bought the Hobbit after seeing that, and I love his stuff. I think you know he he has the right epic take on this music he does a great job of weaving these disparate themes for all the characters it's very it's a very john williamsy score um and i really i love it i think it's great i don't think my objection is with the music i think it's with how it's used because some of his themes i really like and my very favorite theme and my very favorite musical moment of the whole movie is the music that plays when they show the lord of the rings title text in fellowship whatever that little sequences you you know that sound right that right that 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 is that is the perfect one but he had his action like his little action thing like aragorn's theme and like the exciting things are happening thing they play it too much uh, it's too much on the nose like this is the movie where every time you want to uh, you're supposed to feel an emotion they play the music that's supposed to make you do that emotion And, and you're right john williams does that as well and it's somehow like I don't know, maybe it's because it, this the same cues happen so many different times over the nine hours, whereas in the much shorter three hours of the Star Wars trilogy or whatever, you know, it doesn't come off as bad. But like, it just feels like he's someone's hitting me over the head, and it's not so much the music as written; it's yeah. how it's laid into the movie. He doesn't he doesn't vary it quite as much as Williams does. Williams does yeah. a great yeah. job of deftly weaving it in different arrangements, and there's such sneaky things. Even if I, I hesitate to bring up the score for the Phantom Menace, but he does a great job in the Anakin theme in the Phantom Menace. Uh, I like I like that theme. I like the the music for that. of doing of working the Imperial March into it in a very subtle. way way that i had to point out to someone recently because they're like where is the imperial march yeah, you pointed it out to them and then never spoke to them again i'm assuming yeah that's probably true howard shore shouldn't have given peter jackson the garage band files with the loop stuff in it that was the real <laughs> yeah. problem for the extended version there is still a lot of great stuff in there i was thinking when you were talking about your favorite music i was thinking my favorite music which is the scene not necessarily you've got that big bombastic part in the bridge of casa doom where they're running across but i think the the music, the softer music that plays after Gandalf the vocal falls, music, yeah. is is just is perfect. It's so it's haunting, and it's just it's every time I think of it, it gives me it makes my hair stand up.
I even like the Anya song. <laughs> yeah, she, it's hard to make. A, and although I think the unappreciated gem of the vocal songs is the Gollum song at the end of The Two Towers, which is extremely creepy, but a Fish great one? little piece. No, there's a song at the in the end credits of Two Towers. Oh, I don't know there's that a one. song uh, that's sort of the Gollum song, and it's it's sung by a, I think a female New Zealand vocalist, if I recall. She's the only one because you get Annie Lennox at the end of Return of the King and Anya yeah. at the end of uh, Fellowship, and so this one kind of I think is is underappreciated, but it's a very creepy, nice little. How does that song go? Sneaky hobbits <laughs> always stealing my food. You can find it. You know, I I hear John Syracuse loves it when you put music clips in the show. So you can uh, we can go find a clip of that and put it insert it right. Uh, my, my clip, my favorite clip, should be before anyone speaks in this episode, or actually after the the theme song thing. Cause it's the beginning. Yes. Music, and I, I actually like the opening narration to Fellowship. None now live that remember it. That's mm-hmm. I was. That was again that, and then the opening scene of Fellowship. I'm like this is going to be the greatest movie ever, and then the rest <laughs> of the movies come out. But you know. That was my high point. It's kind of like watching the trailer to a movie, you know, like me watching the Superman trailer. It's all downhill after that. At least, at least, I think the fact that they filmed everything back to back to back, uh, you know, <laughs> has a benefit in terms of a tonal consistency because there, it's this is not a a situation like you know the Matrix where it's no. like, wow, that first movie was pretty good, and then the, wow, we really went off the yeah. rails really quick there. No, at it's, least it, it's one it's movie. one continuous movie, right? And I think that's that's impressive, and that's the way it, it needed to be done. But don't you feel like Fellowship, like post-production technologies must have come a long way. Because like, I still feel like Fellowship is like, the, okay, guys, what are we doing here? Yeah. And then the second movie is like finding their stride. And the third movie is like, guess what? We're ah. firing on all well, cylinders. They, Fellowship's a smaller movie, I yeah. think. I, I maintain that. And I, I like it because of that. Because there is less like we're going to worry about I think you like it because so. you saw it when you were 10. <laughs> <laughs> You're only like five years older than me. <laughs> but I'm so much more mature, Dan. So, so John, John said that he really likes the first scene in the first movie. So I guess that really should take us into our next part of the show where we go through every scene <laughs> step by step, right? That's... Uh, <laughs> picture uh, in Sicily, uh, 1977. Yeah. This is, this is just like watching the real movie because we're two hours in and I really have to pee, but I don't know what I'm going to miss if oh, I leave. I'll just talk about Liv Tyler. And now Liv Tyler is on the show. <laughs> I'll talk about Liv Tyler some more. Everybody, please welcome Liv Tyler. Yes. What, uh, so, sadly, um, I think the Eagles have come to to take us away from this terrible place which means Man, we must say goodbye and that'll be the end of the <laughs> podcast talons are so sharp i'm bleeding a little is there bit. anything else that so we should talk about <laughs> there's as i'm going through various endings is there anything how it should else? have ended with the eagles where they just dropped the ring in the eagles Done. the eagles are not at your beck and call you can't just you know yeah just find a moth you're and good. and the eye of Sauron is looking everywhere, and, and, and Mordor is at its height of power. And if you try to fly eagles to Mount Doom, when Sauron's looking around, he'll just like like a beam will come out and go, and the eagles will just be feathers. There's this scene in The Return of the King where the eye of Sauron like stares at Frodo for like 30 seconds, and then he's like, quick, fall down. And it's like, really? He hasn't seen you by that point? Is he, is he nearsighted? He's got focus problems. A fitting end will, here will be the endings. This this movie is famous, and Return of the King is what I'm talking about. The the uh, for its many many endings, it there are um, really. I saw this. I remember seeing this in the theater, and I kept thinking. And this ha- has happened on a few movies that I've seen where I've thought that would be a really good way to end it. But there's more. 
Except it happened in, in Return of the King. It happens like five I'm times. I'm just really glad they didn't end when, when Aragorn's all like, and now the hit single for my new single album. <laughs> they ended it right before that one. So that was, you know, as silly as it is for there to be multiple endings, and I remember being bothered by it when I saw the Return of the King in the theater, I like all of the endings. Uh, yeah. you, know, you could have you picked one or maybe yeah, two. I mean, they, they wrap everything up, right? But like, yeah, I, no, but yeah, you have to, I like every single one of those endings with the possible exception of them standing on the soundstage seeing Frodo off onto the gray ships. But other than that, yeah. they, like, they, <laughs> they got to do that though. They're That's good closer. in their ways. Like the big ceremony where they all bow to the Hobbit that's a good one and then you know the, everyone parting from each other and there like, could have been some more montage in there maybe instead of having them individual like the like the frodo goodbye could have been like a montage a little you know just not a whole let's walk out and oh i'm gonna go but they yeah. this, they they earned they earned it though right after 10 hours or whatever of movie i think they earned a, a big goodbye because that's a lot of movie. Now, this time when I was watching them all bow to the Hobbit, I just kept thinking, like Frodo, thinking, if I had kept the ring, you'd all bow to me. Bow, <laughs> kiss my furry feet. <laughs> well, it's nice. It's nice again. Like I think that links in with what we were talking about earlier, where you know the the sort of allegorical aspects of it. Um, you know that he doesn't. I like that Frodo feels like you know I don't really fit in, so I gotta go. And, you know, I can't really deal with yeah. coming back to this normal life. Plus, it's, yes, it's all allegory, right? So I'm going to get on a boat. And, and think of it this way. If, if you had ended on what I think most people would agree is the best ending with everyone bowing to the hobbits, that wouldn't have been the right ending for the, for the movie or for the series of movies. Because that's not how it ends. It's like, oh, so was the whole right. thing that now finally hobbits get some recognition? It's not like a hobbit civil rights movie <laughs> that we're watching here. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't have, you, you can't have like Frodo end this movie by thinking, oh well, you know what? I I've expanded my horizons and I became a better <laughs> Hobbit for it, and now everybody <laughs> loves me. the the whole The whole point is that the you know what what always what always really took me in about this story was the idea that by the way, yeah, I know that you're 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 taking this ring back and destroying it because it has to be done, but realize that the you you will be forever damaged. Yes. By the by, by virtue of the fact you did this, you are doing ruined. You know, the, basically. the implication the implication is that you will you'll be the hero and you'll win, but you will be destroyed by this ring. You may live, but you will be destroyed, and that's what makes him such a hero. And that's yeah. uh, for for all the for all the uh, uh, for all the fun we've been poking at that actor. It's the the I love the it, when we get to the end that hollow look just really yeah, does. He's better at that. Sum up this. This is this is exactly what is needed. That yeah. part of him just really died, and he has to. He is no longer of this world, and he has to. the 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 fact that he's the fact that he is back in the Shire, and the Shire only reminds him of the part of him that can he can never revisit ever again is the reason why he has to leave. So that's why that is the ultimate yeah. ending. That that's that's why that as as sappy little bit as that Annie Lennox song is. It's a very good it's a very good song, but it really is designed to manipulate you. That's why it's like I'm, it's. I'm not, thank thank God there's so much special effects in this movie because I'm gonna need six minutes of Ed credits to get these tears yeah. out of my eyes before the lights come back up. It really does it really does knock you. So in this in this uh, post uh, Marvel uh, blockbuster world, uh, the way the Lord of the Rings would end would be that there'd be the ending and then there'd be some credits and then there'd be the post credit sequence where they where Gandalf recruits Frodo for the <laughs> and then there'd be more credits. 
And then there'd be a last scene, right? The fellowships all eating shawarma. <laughs> well, what happens is Nick, no, Nick Fury appears at the end out of the shadows and says, Gandalf, I need you. Right? <laughs> no, what, what, what would happen is that we'd, that we'd finally get to see, see Sauron at the very end after the end credits. And we would never have gotten, we would know that, oh, well, there's this guy who has this ring and he's going to be, and we don't know who this guy is, but we saw him like in a fleeting glance and only at the, at the end of the credits, oh, that's the guy that this story has been all about all along. Would he have so climbed out of the rubble of the tower, dun, dun, dun. basically, like <laughs> shaking his fists? There's another Palantir. We went through a 10-hour preview for the next damn $10 movie ticket you want to sell me. Screw you, Marvel. <laughs> no, I just, backwards. you know, let's stick, let's stick various ending scenes in, in the credits, before the credits, after the credits, between <laughs> parts of the credits. Just yeah. stack them up that way. And then people will be like getting up and filing out and be like, oh, damn. And they have to go back and sit down again and just yoink. Uh, you know, but again, I, I think after a movie this long, the endings are, are good and it has earned them. I, I think it's something about the way it's done where it kind of misleads the audience and maybe the music could have been different. I'm or, not quite or sure if you what really the... have to pee at that point, then you're oh, really man. like, okay, <laughs> and I'm going to get the pee now. I know, damn it. That's I'm why you got to go pee. when Liv Tyler's on the screen, then you can make it through the, the ending. It's pro tip. Have you, have you never seen the scenes with Liv Tyler in it then? <laughs> Just always in the bathroom. I, I have now because at home video, I don't always let it run. I did make a point of watching them one at least one time. They should make a version you can carry with you. So when you walk, it has like a little summary of her scenes. So while you're sitting on the toilet, you can read. Oh, okay. The the, the heat of the the warmth of the Eldar is leaving you. She goes into a coma. Oh, okay, now I got it. Right. That's not the kind of thing you want to be reading on the toilet. Thanks, Glenn. That would be a great app, though. There is an app. I think I think it's actually called Run P or something like that. <laughs> that that I, I I am not kidding. Where they really they so it is designed so that you start it going. Like when the it's it has a database of like movies and times when okay here is a sequence in which it's just like three guys doing a riff on this one joke it lasts two and a half minutes right here right now is a good time to get up and go to the bathroom if you need to because you will you will miss nothing yeah, you know the uh, the animated Lord of the Ring movies we were making fun of before the show the yes. uh, Ralph Bakshi ones and everything I think actually uh, actually it was the one after that the Return of the King movie the ending of the animated yes. Lord of the Rings movies which are not good. Uh, actually, I did like the, that ending they had, and that, the ending they chose to do was to have Gandalf look at Merry and Pippin and go, "Well, look at you! Did you notice that you're taller than you know your the you young hobbits are taller than you older hobbits, and it's like you know your hobbits aren't going to be little people for much longer, and the time of the elves and the magic people is gone, and this is the time <laughs> Gandalf of men. supports you, oh. maybe the hobbit. You know, they did that with the with them drinking <laughs> the water from the Ents and everything, and and yes. the movie version. But right. I kind of like like that's what you're looking for in the end. The proper end to Lord of the Rings, no matter who's doing the adaptation or whatever, is that the world is moving on. Right. This dramatic thing has happened, and age is over, and the world is moving on. How do you express that? The elves leave, the hobbits, the Shire isn't what it used to be. You can have the scouring of the Shire. You can have the hobbits getting taller. My long-running contention about Tolkien is every Tolkien, everything is better in the past, and every word you read in the book is the thing, the word you just read, it was better then. And, you know, you get to the next <laughs> book, and it's like everything is degrading, falling apart, and whatever. So but you're like, moving hey, on. well, we're like, we got to the third age. It's the age of man. Oh, man, this sucks. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, like it, I use the, using the phrase from the Dark Tower, the world is moving on. Is it is it good? Is it bad? It is what it is. You know, the world has moved on since then. And like I, when I was a kid, I always viewed it as good. It's like, uh, oh, you know, all that magic elf stuff and everything. But like, get it now, out of the now way. it's man's time, and Dark like, time the, now. the magic isn't there. It's just it's you know the the heroic. There's no more magic. It's just heroism and men who live normal lifespans and don't have any wizards or giant eagles. And we just got to do it for ourselves. It's man time now, man. Yeah. No giant eagles, though. That sucks. Boo. No giant eagles. Let's go back. Well, I can tell by the uh, by the clock on the wall and the beginning of the 10 minutes of end credits that are about to run that we should probably... You're going to try to land the plane again. I know you can land we it this time, Jason. We should probably wrap up... I just want you to tell the good luck. The, uh, here we go. You. I'm going in. Uh, we should probably wrap up this edition. Uh, this is... We, we're covering... I know this is very long. We spent a lot of time talking about Lord of the Rings, but... Boy, there's a lot of talk about. It's like 80 hours long. It has to be seen. It can only be shown in certain times of the year when the sun isn't out very long, and it's very complicated. So, uh, so we did it. We talked about it. We could probably talk about it some more. Maybe we will some other time. But, but for now, I would like to thank my uh, members of my fellowship who joined me on this on this wonderful journey. It's sad that we had to split up halfway through, and that a couple of us just wandered around aimlessly on mute while the rest of you fought orcs. But that was just how it had to be for the plot. <laughs> Sorry about that. So I would like to thank my uh, my very own. Uh, let's see, which one are you? Uh, uh, you're the you're the elfy guy, Glenn Fleischman. <laughs> J- Jason, don't say let's see each other again soon. Let's say we won't see each other until after the sundering of the world. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I'd also like to thank uh, my very own Boromir. You don't cross me. Dan Morin. Oh, I'm Boromir this time? Sweet. Yes. Well, uh, <laughs> thanks, Jason. I will defend you until my dying day, which will be in about 30 seconds. Yeah, Sean, that's, yeah. you're Sean Bean. You, it doesn't yeah. end well. <laughs> Jason, I'll tell you all about your mother next time I see you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also would like to, to thank uh, uh, the, the uh, heir to the throne. If Why won't he be on the throne? Why doesn't he want to be king? It's Andy Anatko. Thank you. Breathe deeply. Glare. Stubble, stubble, stubble. <laughs> Glare. <laughs> Hair toss. <laughs> I've never heard stubble articulated. That was wonderful. And, of course, uh, he was the Grey Wizard when this started, but now he's entirely white. It's John Syracuse. Thank you for being here. The road goes ever on and on, down from the door where it began, Jason. It does indeed. Wise words. What he said. Party on, Garth. <laughs> Thanks to everybody out there for listening to this epic incomparable. Uh, until next time when we tackle a subject that is shorter than this one. I'm Jason <laughs> Snell. Thank you for your patience. Hey, J- hey Dan. Yo. No weapon forged could kill him. Sorry, right. it's the now we're doing an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but it's a very similar <laughs> concept. No weapon forged. Ah, the judge. So you'll use a rocket yeah. launcher. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> it's, 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 all, it's always literal. It, it, Man, if they'd had a rocket launcher in this movie, it would have that would have been faster. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they told him he, a Hobbit would never play football. <laughs> You're Sammy, two foot Sammy, nothing. Sammy, Sammy. <laughs> 50 pounds nothing. Frodo, Frodo. <laughs> if you're just joining us, uh, this is the Lord of the Rings telethon. We're in our second hour. Please call the number on your screen now to donate. 
and make us stop. Jason Jason Snell has just undone his bow tie, which means he's about to get really, really serious here. If we get right. 90 donations in the next two hours, we'll it's, just stop. Can you sing the Tom Bombadil song now, Jason? Can you sing it now, please? <laughs> it's time. Um, anyway, someone in the chat room mentioned it, and we would be remiss not to bring it up. But I, There are I people do left in the chat room? There are people still there. Are people there. Jo- no, there's people joining wow. us. I was just checking on Twitter, and they're like, yes. are you starting now? I'm like, yeah, we are pretty much. Come on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 